0: Hello
1: and welcome to 177 Nations of Tasmania podcast and thanks for joining me on my mission to discover Tasmanian residents from all 177 countries of birth represented on this island. In this episode I'm talking with Nizam who was born and raised in Ethiopia. Now the Ethiopian community is another one that has grown quite considerably in Tasmania in the last few years mostly consisting of people settling under Australia's humanitarian visa program. Now Ethiopia is a large country with a long and complex history and some significant regional differences. And this has resulted in a patchwork of different cultures, traditions, religious, and political affiliations. And to do this full justice would be well beyond the scope of this podcast. However, in my conversation with Nizam, who came to Tasmania on a scholarship to do his PhD, we will hopefully get a better understanding of life and culture in Ethiopia, and also to understand some of the factors that shape perspectives of its diverse
0: peoples. <laughs>
2: My name is Nizam Hussein Abdul. Uh, was born and grown up in Ethiopia, basically in the rural area, and I was the last born for my family. Literacy was one of the challenges uh, that we have back home. I believe my parents uh, realized the value of education at the very end, you know, at the very last. Uh, so I was the only one who got the opportunity to to schooling. So I went to school, uh, you know, I did, uh, I, I pushed it up to a bachelor's degree. I did bachelor's degree back home in Ethiopia in the university called Jimma University. Uh, so my ethnicity is Oromo. I came from the Oromo uh, people. And, you know, I, I served in government organization in a research center for about two and a half years. Then I got scholarship to, to move to Germany. Okay. Where there's like very different culture yeah. language and it was like very very special kind of experience for me to see where everybody is white for example yeah yeah like because i <laughs> grew up in Ethiopia
1: where, where in Germany? Where uh, you?
2: I was in, um, in the state of Baden-Württemberg, uh, mm-hmm. Stuttgart I completed my master's in 2017 moved back joined an international research organization then i got scholarship at the university of tasmania okay so i moved here now i completed my phd submitted um currently you know this week i'm i'm just on uh, some kind of holiday because i <laughs> just submitted last week <laughs> okay so when did you move here i moved here end of uh you know i directly came from home so i moved i came here uh end of 2017 which is uh december or beginning of 2018 basically now i'm four years here
1: and perhaps you could explain a little bit more about the field of study that you're involved in
2: all right i bachelor's i studied agricultural economics Mm -hmm. master's agricultural economics now it is more environment and resource economics it's very related Mm -hmm. so when i graduated my bachelor's i joined a research research center in dry land in Borona pastoral community, Borona Oromo. That's extreme south, which is border to Kenya. Okay. So I work there as a junior researcher. So in that process, I wouldn't tell you that I, I really did something. Earth-shaking research or whatever. <laughs> it's not like that. I was just uh, a junior researcher. So understanding the context, uh, learning from the experienced ones, trying to write, learn how to write proposals, try to train myself how to identify research problems and understand the culture, the dialect even, how you communicate with people, how do you get mm. information from them because, you know, the context here and there is quite different, you know. For yeah. The first thing you have to know is you have to really understand the culture, the value, the tradition they have, mm. you know, that you have to live the way they live to, to get some information from them. At that time, the area I was working on was rangeland land management, okay, community-based natural resource management, because Borana was drought-prone area where drought frequently happens, occurs, and uh, there is resource-based conflict going on which later on over time may be changed to some kind of political conflict. Yeah, sure. So there are ethnicities who are really pastoralists, you know, <laughs> moving here and there with their livestock, but due to climate change, climate variability or shortage of rain, whatever we call it, there's no feed, there's yeah. no other resources. So, people conflict, people mm. fight each other, people kill each other, you know, and on one side, there is uh, non-governmental organizations, government organizations, a lot of organizations trying to provide the community with some kind of improvement. And from the other side, there is traditional way of resource management, conflict resolution mechanism, marriage, leadership, everything.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: I was like, as a researcher, I was looking at both systems. Do they fit or conflict? Okay. Which one is the approach, uh, best practice to uh, restore or you know rehabilitate the, the rangeland? So my focus was basically around this area, which is shortly natural resource and institutions. Topia is quite a big country in terms of land size and culture, diversified culture, language, religion, political ideology, and so on. This particular community I was talking about is about the Borana, Borana Oromo Pastoral Community. Okay, Oromo is the nation. People around fifty million people who speaks the same language, yep. but located at different areas. In Oromia region, there is a belief, a culture, a tradition that the Oromos are the son of one person. They came from the same root. Okay, yep. even though they spread all over Oromia, the land they live in is called Oromia. They are the Oromo people And the language they speak is Afan Oromo Afan means language mm-hmm. The language of Oromo people So the particular Oromo I'm talking about As a community Is a Boran okay. Boran is a pastoral community They have different kind of animal breeds That is really known Boran breed you know, globally even known as a Boran breed Very beautiful And uh, they have Traditional leadership system Called Gada system Okay. The Oromo people all used to be under this umbrella. This Gada system, this traditional democratic system. Okay. 100% it's, it's proven, it's, it's recorded on UNESCO as the traditional intangible uh, heritage, which is democratic practice. Ethiopia used to be like, you know, um, autocratic, uh, monarch, or whatever, imperial. Now it is federation, federal system.
1: Yeah.
2: But the community, at community level, at nation level, we had a GEDA system, which is pra- democratic way. This GEDA system is the way of livelihood. You know, the, that's the way you live. How you get dressed? How do you get out of home? How will you come back? How do you greet people? How do you get married? Every activity, social, environmental, political, economic, everything is under this system.
0: Okay.
2: But early nineteenth 19, uh, century, eighteen eighty plus. Mm-hmm. Ethiopia was unified, so we we were defined as the current Ethiopian country. So we came under one ruling system. That ruling system, whether it was good or bad, that is not up to me to define to determine. But the, that system was broken down. But there are part of Oromo that preserves this system, okay. and Borana is one of it. So when I come to your question, which is practical way of conflict resolution. Conflict resolution is part of the Gada system. Okay. So when you fight for any reason, okay, it is naturally forbidden to fight to get into conflict. But you know, somehow you will get into it because of so many reasons, mm-hmm. especially in today's world in Africa. Once you are in that situation, there are elders. Okay, elders they are called Abagada, the father of Gada system. So they come together. They bring the both conflicting party. They sit in between. They listen to both sides, and they determine in like a win-win situation. Okay, mm-hmm. you stop doing that. You stop doing this. Come to the central point. Make a mutual agreement. That's in a very simple model. That is how they resolve. But generally, the GEDA system, when you were when you are when you were born in that community everything is divided according to eight eight years okay okay for example from you now when you're born to up to eight you are called a kid
0: hmm
2: so you just play around do whatever you do from 8 to 16 you start helping family learn the culture a little bit do different activities from 16 to 24 now you learn the history of the Borana people from 24 to 36 you are the warrior, defend the border of the the people. If there is something happening, you are the frontliner. By 32, you have to get back home. Now you are experiencing a lot. You must get married at 32.
1: Right.
2: I'm not part of it. I'm already above that. (laughs) 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 Because I was born in the central part, the highland part, okay? Okay. Where the Gada system has already deteriorated, uh, but it's, it's emerging back now. So my son will be part of (laughs) the new Gadha system, right? So when you are thirty-two, you have to get married because you have to. You can be a Bagada at forty.
1: Okay, so that's like a kind of elder or sort of senior.
2: Yes, at at forty, you are elder. You are mature. You have your own family. You have defended the border. You learned the history. You are a man. You are a mature man. So you can be the leader of the community. Right. Okay. If you are above forty you are disqualified to be a candidate, to be a Bagada, So the only time you can be a bagada, the father is at 40. So you lead for eight years, no way you will lead more than eight years, which, which is not the case in Africa, right? Yeah. Once you are a president, you will be a president until you die or a coup d'etat will come and kill, you. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, your presidents for life have seemed pretty common.
2: Exactly. Once you are 48 you become elder, you know elder now you don't you, you give you are an advisor you give the advice to the current abagada. you, you, you are not politically active, but you are respected
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you will be you know like com- participating in conflict resolution. And helping the current abagada what to do because it is a uh, drought prone area conflict prone area right what you can do uh, about the livelihood of the improvement of the livelihood of the community and in this Gada system, once you are a Bagada, you lead for four years and then you will be evaluated. okay, what have you done in the last four years right Did you resolve conflict? between ethnic groups. What, what 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 do you bring to the community after, you know? And there are something, there are new rules that you may change. It is verbal, it's nothing written, but, you mm-hmm. know, like the grieving system or relocation of uh, villages or whatever. It is called Gumi Gayo. Mm-hmm. Gumi Gayo, it's called Gayo Assembly. Gayo is the name of the place. Gumi means assembly. Okay. So they come together they establish new rules, they improve or abolish the existing rules. They evaluate a bagada, what he has done. There is impeachment if you don't do. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is very rare. It is traditionally forbidden to, to touch a bagada because a bagada when you become a Bagada, you have to be really closely uh, perfect in terms of the culture and the value of the community. But still, if you do something that is not acceptable, there is impeachment.
1: Okay. So there's a kind of a process of accountability. In yes. Case someone falls out of line.
2: Or, exactly. Or uh, once you're a bagada after four years you'll be evaluated and then uh, after eight years you'll be rep- replaced. Then, you know, if you're going to be a bagada you will be a candidate from where you are eight years or seven, six, five years. Your father can nominate you. My son will be your bagada after 40 years. Yeah because he, he is a bagada now. When he's a bagada, he can nominate already his, his son to be a
0: Baghdad. In
2: The last 30 years from 1991, you know, used to be military, uh, we used to be socialist, you know, from mm-hmm. 1973 to 1991. But then after that, we accepted this capitalism and democratization and, you know, federalism. Rrr, Mm -hmm. after that for 30 years we have been led by one party and the economic development of ethiopia was very drastically big but that's only number yeah i mean yes the indicators you know the gdp or whatever tells that we don't deny there are a lot of things change railway uh, constructed a Mm -hmm. lot of construction going on a lot of health centers people are not dying like used to be malaria killed millions of people in Ethiopia for example mm-hmm. now we don't have that there is a lot of improvement but when you look at the livelihood at individual level per capita level how much do they get every year you know per in, per day people are earning uh, less than a dollar mm. or less than 2 dollars maybe you know and one you know government uses this kind of indicators to Paint their political face mm-hmm. and show it to the international community. You see, we are doing a lot of things to maximize their benefit. Inside, when you look at individual, you know, if the improvement is um, big enough, you know, we, uh, we wouldn't have had a lot of uh, refugees leaving the country.
0: Yeah.
2: we lose millions of people in the in the ocean. You know, people trying to cross the uh, unimaginable kind of ocean and they die and uh, you know yeah that's happening and and this thing is happening now so it has started in the last 30 years 30 years ago we didn't have that in history
1: yeah and um well just connect in Tasmania we've had in the last few years quite a big yeah, well relatively large increase in the Ethiopian population yeah. we, we until maybe 10 years ago very few um, Ethiopians now it's quite a decent sized community
2: absolutely Uh, yeah it is one of the biggest community in in Tasmania can you imagine if they're big this big in Tasmania how they could be uh, elsewhere
1: yeah exactly yeah but I wanted to ask you a bit more about your own own experience tell me about what what was the area where you um grew up you mentioned that it was a highland highland area yeah what, what kind of place was that for you to um what was your upbringing like i guess
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a good question i was born and grown up in oromia region my mom my dad they are typical oromo people from oromia region the play the my exact place i was born was jimma zone in a very rural area village called chalte child age, it's, it's a local name, you know, mm-hmm. to to say maybe it is uh, maybe privileged or whatever, you know, you know, depending on what people produce or how the agroecology look like or whatever, you know. We are farmers, mm-hmm. so I I used to herd animals, cattle, you know, I, in the morning, you know, you get up, you take off the, the cattle, you gra you know, take them to the river, swim and then you harvest firewood help you know and you take you take your food with you you swim Mm -hmm. you stay with the cotton you bring them back and then in the evening uh, with with the firewood on your head that was a daily kind of activity i was also sent to religious school and academic school at the same time so then when i was around Seven, my dad decided to bring me to a small town nearby. Mm. He because his brother was there, and I used to live with him. I went to school, so that was a different route for the family. So because no one all? was in a school before.
1: Okay, so they were just uh, helping on the farm.
2: Yeah, instead, I I, I left them. But yep. if I. Like under normal condition, if I didn't go for the schooling, I must help them, herd cattle. When you are old enough, stand behind the traditional plow. I I, I don't oh, like, know if you have if you have seen it.
1: Like by by hand. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, two oxen. Yep. Standing, you have to tie the yoke and everything. The plow, you have to stand at the back and till the land.
1: Very uh, hard, hard physical very, work.
2: Very very. Yep. That's why Ethiopian farmers are very strong. but They're <laughs> they are very skinny, but they're very strong. You do that whole process. You get married. You don't go anywhere. You share the land with your father. Get married. Have family. And continue the endless life cycle to the next generation. Yeah. That is, that is the story. But I had a brother. Sisters. You know, they did not go to school. So my father was like, all right he understood the value of education.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he was also the leader of the local people. And when people from educated area are coming for some political uh, activities or some developmental activity, he saw the difference. How do people, these kind of people get there? Because of schooling, right? So he sent me to a small town and he told me, son, never come back. You have to complete your study. So I, I, I do study. That time I I couldn't walk from home to school, so I lived in a small town. Once I grown up, I, when I was around grade six seven, I went back home, living with my parents. So in the winter, when there is no school, I help them on the farm. Okay. I till the land, I do all the activity, weeding, uh, you know, bringing water home, collecting firewood, doing all the activities. When the school is open. I'm back to the school. Mm-hmm. Later on, I bought a bicycle, and then all the villagers are talking about me. <laughs> right. Because no one had a bike before.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> you
2: know? <laughs> then, instead of, you know, I used to live in, in town. Now i back, walking. I also farm. So from my farm, I, you know, from my produce, I sold a boat bike. Now I'm using my bike to go to school and come back home. Oh, okay. And when I am in high school, I again moved to town because you know why? In Ethiopian policy, especially in my region, Oromia, from grade one to eight, you study in your mother tongue, which is Afan or Oromo. Mm-hmm. All the science, physics, mathematics, history, but everything. But you take one co- one unit as English language. So that's the English class. Okay, that's one one course. Starting from grade nine, everything is in English. Of course you study Afano Romo as one subject, Mm -hmm. English as one subject, America as one subject, but all the rest, geography, biology, chemistry, physics, mathematics, everything is in English. I again moved back to town so from yeah. grade 9 10 11 12 i stayed in town i rent a small room then i moved i i, I joined university
1: and uh university is the language also english
2: everything is in english now okay. depending on the department you study if you want to study or folklore, folklore Romo, amharic or literary, some kind
0: mm-hmm. maybe
2: you there's particular thing you can study in america or Romo. okay mm-hmm. but If you are gonna go to economics or physics or any any other, everything is in English. So I I had to prepare myself for the next level.
1: What uh, factors affected your decision to study um, agriculture?
2: (laughs) This is again another interesting question.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: In Ethiopia, I mean, everybody has a dream when we grow up. Okay, why do you want to be? I want to a pilot. I want to be a doctor. I want to be Mm -hmm. a musician or whatever, you know. And there is that's, that's. our ambition, our, our interest, but naturally there is also something that we are given. To chase that kind of dream is closely impossible in, in a country like Ethiopia, which means you take what they give you. So, for example, I was more of artistic, like writing poems and singing, and, you know, okay, I, I, that's what I believe I have. But my parents are Muslims,
1: mm-hmm. so
2: am I, so the, it is not, allowed or accepted in my family to be a singer okay so i when i was really a kid i killed that so i can't do it but from a academic perspective what i wanted to be was like uh, a doctor medical doctor but when you when you go to the university before you go to the university you sit for different you know national exams so you make your choice okay of course there are somebody who is going to be performing better than you average blow you whatever So the government would look at it, and depending on the demand they have currently, they decide that. Okay, when you are in after grade 10, they split the system into two. Now I think they are changing it. It is called social science and natural science. Social science is like history, geography, uh, economics, and so on. Here, biology, chemistry, physics, and so on. So from the social science... This percentage will go to sociology, this will go to teaching, this will go to this, you know, from natural science. They decide like that. Okay. By a percentage. But once you are given any department, you do it if you like. You leave it if you don't like. But no one is going to change it for you. Or no one is going to force you to study. If you don't want, you have to go back and deal you w- with your family. Which is closely impossible because most of us are coming from poor family mm, Yeah, and your family will kick your butt and leave you know because when you go to the university everything is free Yeah, they feed you they give you accommodation even health system a little bit you know and you don't and no tuition fee well there's cost sharing at the end of your graduation after you graduate and get a job there's more percentage you have you have to pay government even if you don't pay they are not going to step on your head okay fine so that's really good opportunity for kids coming from poor family yeah so we did not question whatever department we were given yeah I'm lucky that I'm in the university <laughs> <laughs> you have yeah. to like what you are given
1: and, and, and quitting would be a really big thing in that circumstance
2: then you will join the refugee <laughs> <laughs> you have to you have to catch up with your friend in in Nairobi or somewhere you know yeah yeah right <laughs>
1: so so in in a way you didn't necessarily choose your field it chose you in
2: a way 100% i couldn't have said more better than <laughs> <laughs> you know grown up in a quite challenging environment i already convinced myself I was even telling my friends when we joined university, is there a department called non department? I would love to study that even. If it is something that would would provide me with a degree, mm-hmm. is there a department called no department? I don't mind. I don't care. Mm-hmm. So I already convinced myself to take what they give me. But I I would say I was lucky to get something that's interesting because I studied agriculture economics. After I graduated, it was Quite spicy. Everywhere people were looking for, like I could see a lot of uh, job vacancies uh, with my with my area, uh, at least in the country, and and even uh, to get out of the country with scholarship. Yeah. Not every department is accepted outside of the country, you know. <laughs> I mean you got you
1: obviously got a scholarship but um i guess that was something you would have uh, applied for and but you i guess you applied for various places around the world
2: absolutely that's right you know um when you're applying for a scholarship from developing countries you have to really show something that is special in a way that you know you have to convince the organization you are applying to because they are going to pay your tuition fee they're going to pay you pocket money mm-hmm. right and you have to clearly show them the clear plan and your academic merit yeah that's the only thing you have to show of course but you know you have to know the system yes indeed I applied when we grown up we used to read history of the world and the weather condition and blah blah, blah. for some person like me, Australia is the best fit because it is uh, not as hot as uh, Africa, but, mm-hmm. you know, it is warm weather. Uh, you know, the agroecology is quite similar to <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: Ethiopia uh, in, in so many uh, things. So my dream was to do my master's in Australia, but the application was not easy. You, you have to be really somehow special and convincing and have strong uh, background mm-hmm. and strong uh, academic merit. So, you know, I applied to so many organ- scholarships, and luckily I got the the German Academic Exchange Service scholarship. That's how I moved there. But wh- once I completed my masters, even before I completed, I was already searching for a PhD position in Australia. So. Can you believe me? It is more than around 30 scholarship I applied in Australia before I got one.
1: Wow. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's very
2: competitive as well. Very competitive and global
0: wide. So
2: before you came to
1: Tasmania, what, did you know much about the <laughs> state?
2: To be honest, no. The thing is, uh, when I was in Germany, I had a, a friend and she was talking about Tasmanian devils. I was like, I, I overlooked, you know, I, I ignored what, what is she talking about, you know? You no, know, she was telling me, this is an interesting animal that's going to extinct and blah, blah, blah. You know, I think she read somewhere. I did not think of what, about Tasmania or Tasmanian devils or whatever. I mean, the term devils is, has some other connotation in the yeah. in, in <laughs> community like where I came from. That was the only time I heard, but um, when I was applying for a scholarship, through process, because I first applied to University of Adelaide and then somebody from there introduced me. This uh, th- There is also a similar ca- kind of opportunity in Tasmania. I'm like, where is this Tasmania? Mm-hmm. So I, I started looking at it and I was really surprised. Okay, I, I have to go to this place. But I didn't expect Ethiopians would be here. Mm-hmm. I was thinking I would be the only black man in the state oh really that that was my thinking but (laughs) but yeah but when i came here i a lot of ethiopians
1: so when you came what were your do you remember what your first impressions were
2: (laughs) well i you know i told you when i was in germany that was my first impression and i know how Developed countries look like, you know, I also traveled to Italy, around, you know, mm-hmm. in Europe. When I came to Tasi, I came in December. So there was no school, but there are no, no, no pandemic, So there were a lot of international students on campus who came to learn English language. I thought like, oh, I went somewhere else, not, uh, <laughs> not, not, not uh, Tasmania. Because I didn't, I did not see what I expected. To be honest, yeah. So I saw a lot of international students, no domestic student at all because of the timing. Yeah. I thought, like, did they came, did they come to the wrong place? <laughs> that was my first impression. Yeah. Right. So in February I see. Ah, oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> you know that's that was a um, a lot of my friends were laughing at me about this. Yeah. But in terms of uh, other perspectives, like culture or tradition or the system, you know, with certain level of uh, differences, most of the developed nations they they have some uh, things that uh, they share in common. Yeah. Okay. Uh, supermarket system, bus, uh, how to uh, transportation, you know, private life, being responsible for acti- every activity you you, you take and everything you know there is no communal thing that we used to
1: yeah uh, that's more sort of individualistic yes but than, more than communitarian of, yeah, exactly was there anything that w- that maybe did surprise you or that had been different from what you might have experienced in uh, europe
2: yes i lived in germany for three years i started being quite like the german okay even though i lived uh, between Germany and Australia, and I lived for a couple of months in Ethiopia. You know, like, well, the Germans, they, they of course, took that's I'm talking about my personal, it's only me, my experience. I, it can be different from somebody else. Yeah. But what I understand in Germany is they, they don't chat much, they don't, especially in public or whatever, they have to be really close to you to start talking to you. They uh, don't,
1: I've had the same experience. Yes.
2: Yeah, so. They don't just talk like that. So, that was my fear when I moved here, but here people smile at you, people talk to you, they just get to know you now, and they tell you, oh, let's have coffee. Yeah. This is like Ethiopia, Ethiopia in other part of the world, In in this perspective. That is the biggest difference I see, and maybe that is part of the thing that made me interested in staying longer in, in Australia or thinking okay. about even in the, in the future because the social life uh, is quite similar to Ethiopia.
1: Okay, that's interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: What are your plans for the future in Tasmania?
2: I have gone quite long journey in, 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 in science and you know doing research and so on. I'm still pretty young so I really want to contribute to science and discovery and public policy discussions
0: Mm -hmm.
2: on natural sources, on resource management, or community, whatever kind of project, right? But no matter where I will be, my biggest plan is to leave my fingerprint Mm -hmm. on the earth in a given community X right before I pass away but as a person I want to settle, get married live in Australia, travel across the world contribute to science and discovery and help the poor as much as I can mm-hmm. but back home I mean yeah yeah
0: yeah.
1: what's been your impression of the Ethiopian community here is I mean it seems to be growing a growing community in
2: terms of number it is growing uh, even though once they arrive they a lot of them prefer to go to the mainland Mm -hmm. but still the number is increasing over time Uh, generally you know coming to this part of the world is a safe and and I'm happy for them to be where they wanted to be or where at least their life is really safe and they they, you know, they're in, in, a, in a peaceful environment. Um, you know, as a person, I also enjoy to have uh, people from my my culture. You know, somebody who I can speak Amharic, you know, yeah. or Oromo. You know, that's that's uh, very lovely. Um, the other side I observe is there is, um, you know, this political difference has uh, deep rooted in uh in in the community okay. uh, wherever you go you know it is uh, people are divided which which shouldn't be the i mean i i can't say it shouldn't be our, our issue but uh what I would imagine is it shouldn't be the point of difference
0: mm-hmm.
2: where you break down your social relationship based on some political ideologies but uh, um in here and even in Germany or everywhere I go I see that uh you know the Ethiopian community they they always have some clear demarcation okay based on their political ideology. Yeah. Which is directly associated with your ethnic group. Okay,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: Coffee is a big part, by the of Ethiopian culture.
0: Yes,
2: absolutely. Uh, uh, For example, I was born in uh, the area where coffee was first discovered. So Coffee Arabica was originated from Ethiopia. So coffee is a big part of our life, you know. Coffee ceremony, I don't have any similar kind of commodity in Australia or anywhere else to compare with. Because when you wake up in the morning, like as a family, the first thing you do is to prepare coffee with some breakfast. And all the family members will come, drink coffee, chat, eat their breakfast, go to the work. That's this typical farming community. Then you do your own business. Midday, you come home, right? everybody is again together. You eat lunch, drink coffee, go away again coffee is not something that you just drink alone
1: yeah yeah it's a social connector
2: yeah yeah you talk what was happening from morning to midday chat you know you drink coffee you again go back to your own business in the night the cattle are the cattle are at home kids are at home everything is fine now so you again make coffee cook dinner eat dinner drink coffee chat sleep
1: drink coffee at night as well yeah so with, with every meal of the day is... Yeah, three
2: times a day. For example, typically in my, my household, my mm-hmm. family, we do that. Or even you drink three times, right? What if somebody comes to visit you between breakfast and lunch? You have to make coffee. Okay. Welcoming the visitor. You don't just... Somebody come to your house, you have to make coffee. Yeah, yeah. And they do it traditional way. The way they grind the coffee... You know, they have traditional kind of pot where they you don't crush like this but you have to heat it like this. Yeah. So when you are passing by that household, you hit that and you smell coffee, right? <laughs> you say, Oh, they're mean coffee. If you are passing and somebody sees you from the far hey, come drink coffee. Yeah. You even don't know them. And it's rarely that you say no. It's fine to come home, drink coffee, chat, go. Even even though I like, was somebody who is travelling. Yeah, so it's it this kind of like social, it's at the center, heart of the social activity,
1: yeah, and, and
2: hospitality, and absolutely, hospitality. yeah, hospitality, love, respect. <laughs>